Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. My pleasure to introduce to you tonight our speaker, Pastor Jim Fury, who is the pastor over at Harvest PCA Church, one of our daughter church, former daughter churches, now sister church. It's a real joy to have Jim here tonight. We were discussing beforehand that he shares a number of similarities to our pastor emeritus. Both of them were church planters from Buffalo, both of them married to Carol's. Uh, and so we are, we're really glad to have him. The Presbytery was July when you began at uh, August. August. August began as a pastor over at, at uh, Harvest. Really glad for you to come and share God's word with us tonight, Jim. If you'd be so kind to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the first 17 verses. This John the Baptist is coming on the scene. And uh, we're going to see what it talks about being a baptism of repentance and also bearing fruits of repentance. That's our, our theme for tonight. Again, this, this about repentance as we approach Easter. Beginning in chapter 3 of Luke, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the holy, the infallible, the inerrant word of the living God. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria, and Trachonitus and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went to all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, 
whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So far the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for this word that, is in, that endures forever and is fresh and true today as when, is, when it was first penned. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would be our teacher, that you would speak to us, to our hearts and minds, and you would be exalted. Father, teach us what this baptism of repentance is and, and the fruits of repentance. And that your, may your name, O oh Lord Jesus, be ever praised. In Christ we pray. Amen. In most of your Bibles, you will find at the end of the Old Testament a blank page after Malachi finishes up, before it starts with the New Testament, with the words of Matthew. And typically that's there to, to, tell, to tell us about the, the intertestamental period when there's 400 years of silence, 400 years of not hearing the Word of God or the new Word of God. And the first thing you hear that comes on the scene other than the Christmas narrative, the Christmas stories, the first thing we hear when the word starts speaking again, God speaks, is that a king is coming and he calls you to repent, to repentance. Now, if I mention something like, um, he's going to be talking, John's going to be talking about a lot of this, but fire and brimstone preaching, I've done this in the church before, and I asked him, what do you think of fire and brimstone preaching? I had people say they hate it, and some people say they love it. What comes to your mind if you ask people on the street? Probably vivid images of fire and, and judgment to scare people into trusting Christ. Here's a sample. Your wickedness makes you as if you were heavy as lead, and to lend downwards with great weight and pressure towards hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf, and all your righteousness would have no influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. Were it not for the sovereign pleasure of God, the earth would now not bear you one moment, for you are a burden to it. The creation groans with it. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked His wrath towards you burns like fire, and he looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of pure eyes and to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful venomous serpent is in ours. When I was doing this, I I looked up online about fire and brimstone preaching to see what some comments would be online. And I came up with this group called the Straight Dope. And this lady, Sarah Montrone, quoted, she says, Innumerable times I receive warnings against doing certain things at a risk of suffering the fire and brimstone. Fire and brimstone of hell. What is brimstone and why is it so bad? Shouldn't they update it to something that actually scares adolescents like fire and algebra? 
My folks, she, could, she had no fear of God in her heart and no fear of her own sin in standing before an almighty God. She was not convicted of this in the slightest. And too many think of fire and brimstone preaching as nothing more than emotional theatrics armed with twisting to somebody wanting to pray, uncle, 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 and put your faith in Christ, something like that. What do you think? Should we throw it out? Surely there's unbiblical preaching, definitely, but fire and brimstone preaching is biblical. You see this in our text today. If you're a doctor, but there's more to it, there's more to it than what you typically think. There's much more to the story. If you were to go to your doctor and he were to say you have malignant cancer, and then he would walk out of the room and go talk to the other patients, what would you do? I'd be running after the, running after my doctor. What do you mean I have malignant cancer? What can I do about it? Oh, yeah, there's a cure. Here, just take this. Biblical preaching, fire and brimstone preaching, always talks about and points you to the love of Christ. It points you to repentance and trust in Christ. It gives you great hope. Uh, Jack Miller said, Cheer up, you're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine, and you're more loved than you ever dared hope. And it points us to the love of Jesus Christ. The fire and brimstone I preached a minute ago was from... um, it's, it's from John, Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he goes on to say, he doesn't leave it at that one point. He goes on to say, and now you have an extraordinary opportunity, a day wherein Christ has thrown the door of mercy wide open and stands and calling and crying with a loud voice to poor sinners, a day wherein many are flocking to him and pressing into the kingdom of God. Many are daily coming from the east and the west and the north and the south, Many that were very lately in their same miserable condition that you are in are now in the happy state with their hearts filled with love to him who loved them and washed them from their sins in his own blood and rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. It always brings us back to the cross. It doesn't leave you just there in that brokenness and that fire and brimstone attitude. John the Baptist here in this text is a fire and brimstone preacher. You may like it, you may hate it, but I pray that the Holy Spirit will strike a chord in your heart and draw you to Christ. I want you to listen to John. Listen to him on the depths of your own sin presented against the backdrop of the beauty and the majesty and the holiness of Christ. And he goes through three B's, which I'm going to follow through for the alliteration. He talks about a baptism of repentance. He talks about a brood of vipers. And he talks about bearing fruit of repentance. Let's look at this baptism of repentance. John the Baptist has come on the scene calling sinners to repentance. Again, 400 years of silence, and all of a sudden, this first words that are coming out, there's a king coming, and you must repent. He's a herald, divinely called by God to prepare the way of the Lord, announcing about this king coming. How was he doing to do this? By calling sinners to repentance in order to receive your king. How? By the Holy Spirit, igniting the preaching of the word and bringing this baptism of fire and the spirit, baptism of repentance. A spirit-given fire sent into the hearts and souls of people. Again, there's been silence for 400 years since the prophet of Malachi. And then you hear these words, beginning in verse 2. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist is like, he's a herald. He's sounding the trumpet blast. It's going out into all the land. It shook up the empire. Everything was new from there, here on. It woke up the world in real time and space. 
the Son of God is coming into the world. In the midst of the Caesars and kingdoms, in the midst of political and religious power and might, something happens that will forever shake up the world. Again, in verse 1, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, this is like a wake-up call he's saying here. Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea. Notice he's showing all these powers and authorities of Judea and Herod to being the tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region Iturea and Trachonis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas. Notice the contrast. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. In the midst of all the supreme power and might comes the ultimate king, the ultimate sovereign. And Luke says, the word of God came to John. God was saying it's time. The ultimate authority is now here. Go and tell the world. The king has come. Prepare to receive him by preaching this baptism of repentance. John was called to preach. He was called to preach this baptism of repentance, Scripture says, for the forgiveness of sins. What does that mean? It means nothing, nothing less than the need for conversion, a complete uh, radical transformation, a change of mind and heart, a regeneration a complete 180 degree of turnaround in one's life, a genuine sorrow and brokenness over sin. You've been going this way, following your own way, repenting of that sin, and turning in faith to Jesus Christ and following him, following as your Lord. John the Baptist, as his work as the forerunner of Christ, was to call people to this need to be converted. Why baptism? Could the water of something in the Jordan River somehow be this, the gripping forgiveness of sins? Well, obviously not. And baptism was not new on the scenes. There was also what's called a proselyte baptism. Gentiles were already converting to Judaism. They would have water poured out on them when they, they, they would uh, come to the Jewish religion. Gentiles were unclean, dirty, spiritually filthy. This rite of symbolic, uh, the need of being cleansed, this proselyte baptism. But John is not going to Gentiles. He's going to the Jews. Supposedly religious people, synagogue goers, Torah toting, Ten Commandments carrying, religious people, you know, good people. You can almost hear their thoughts. What do you mean I need to be washed? I'm a Jew. I'm not a gentle. I'm not unclean. But that's exactly why John was brought into this world, to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into hearts. You need this baptism repentance in order to be forgiven of your sins because you are unclean. You and I of all, we are, everything we have done apart from Christ is filthy rags. And John refers to these words of Isaiah the prophet from Isaiah 40, 3 through 5. Luke records it in verses 4 through 6. He says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Do you see the imagery that, that, that Isaiah is bringing in, and John is sharing this here? Bring out the bulldozers, the excavating equipment, remove the dead trees, the rocks, the debris, the fill in the ravines and the valleys, dynamite the mountains. And the hills straighten those crooked roads and make the rough roads straight. And then this statement, and all flesh 
shall see the salvation of God. What does it mean we're talking about this bulldozing and dynamite and having to do with seeing the salvation of God? John has been charged by the grace of God through the preaching of the word to make ready a people for the way of the Lord. Christ is coming. Christ is, is coming. It is a spiritual call to every man and woman child about their sin and their need to repent and come to faith in Christ, to be brought to their knees and know of their sinful depravity and lifted up by the grace of Christ. Obstacles in the path need to be spiritually bulldozed, obstructions cleared way. Through God's means of grace, preaching of the word, you need to be convicted of your sin and your self-righteousness, your pride, your idolatry, your greed, your lustful behavior, your raging anger. And its place revealed the beauty of holiness in Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. John compares the baptism that he's doing with water with the baptism that Jesus will do. He says in verse 16, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, fire often represents in Scripture the wrath of God, but it also can speak of the work of God's grace going out like fire and consuming, and the Holy Spirit works in a believer's life, uh, a believer's heart. God's grace is igniting a flame of passion for Jesus Christ, a fire that illuminates, a fire that, that, that's, that points to Christ, a spirit-led fire that purifies us from the pollution in our heart and replaces it with a fire of love for Jesus Christ. And the fruits of repentance, bearing the fruits of repentance, the ongoing fruits of repentance, appear and grow in our lives. Like Jeremiah 31, 33 declares the Lord, I will put a new law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. There's a new passion and and a new desire to, to repent of your own sins and follow Christ, but also ongoing repentance and and seeking him and recognizing that your sins sent Christ to the cross. uh, Commentator Pastor William Hendrickson said this, Through the coming of the Spirit, the minds of Christ's followers are enriched with unprecedented illumination. Our wills strengthen as never before with a contagious animation, and our hearts flooded with warm affection to a degree previously unheard of. But then John talks about these brood of vipers. He brings this up. And the question is, how do you know you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire? This baptism of repentance, the grace of God pointing us to Christ and turning from our sin and receiving, coming to Christ. I want you to picture the scene. Pastor John is out there in the wilderness. The church is growing. The numbers are up. People are coming. They're in Nowheresville near the Jordan. But then he applies the brakes in our text. John warns his listeners of a false conversion. Look at verse 7 and 8. You brood of vipers, he says, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Now, vipers are small, little, deadly snakes. They're easily mistaken for a dead branch or, or picked up, and then the fangs sink in, and it's all over. The same is still true. People going through the religious motions, baptism and communion and, and confirmation and church membership and praying a prayer and 
But no true repentance of sin takes place. No turning from sin and turning to Christ in faith. John, filled with the Holy Spirit, sees the hypocrisy, their insincerity. Again, he says, You brood of vipers, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. You know, like the Jews, there's many today. This was me years ago, growing up in the church, arresting on our eternal security, our religiosity. And I know of Jesus. And folks, there is a huge difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus, knowing him personally as your Lord and Savior. They were resting in their internal security on that they were descendants of Abraham. Heaven's in the bag. We got this, God. That was the way of saying what many do today. I'm a Christian because I was raised in a church. My parents took me to church or things like that. And John warns in verse 8, do not be deceived. God can turn these very rocks into children of Abraham. It's like what John 1, 1, 1 verse 11 says. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, trusting in Christ, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And a sign of someone who truly is in Christ, who has this personal saving relationship with him, he or she will bear fruits in keeping with repentance. This part of the Holy Spirit, this fire, this gospel of grace working in him, he or she will demonstrate an ongoing, broken, repentant heart. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction on an ongoing basis of daily sin. And you want to repent and, 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 and seek Christ. Filled with fire and brimstone imagery, John warns of the horrible punishment that awaits. awaits. Hell is real. God's judgment, punishment for sin is real. Notice in verse 9, he says, even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You see, sinful men's in this analogy are the trees. And God doesn't need to go looking for the axe behind the woodshed. He already knows where it is. In fact, he knows what will happen at the judgment. Look at the imagery. The axe is already laid at the root. Folks, it's a call to Repent and to repent now. God's hatred of sin is so great that Acts is already in the hand, and he's holding the handle, and the only thing stopping him, just like the imagery of Jonathan Edwards' sermon of a, a, a dangling and not falling, a spider falling into that fire, the only thing stopping him from cutting you down right now and, not, and throwing you into the, fi- the fire is the grace of God. Verse 17 His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. My friends, the light of Christ is shining. He is calling us to repent of sins and to turn in him. But he also talks about this ongoing for those who do turn to him, for those who trust in Christ that will bear fruits of repentance. False conversions are epidemic in America and all around the world. Some of you know of the ministry of Ray Comfort, the way of the master of ministry. 
He one time said about this denomination, uh, well known for their witnessing, that over, they, they reported over 280,000 conversions in one year. The next year, they couldn't even find 30,000 in any of their churches. True conversion will always, always, always be accompanied by fruits of repentance. And three groups appear on the scene before John the Baptist to have their consciences pricked by the Holy Spirit. And they seem to be asking John genuine questions. Asking, well, John, what do these fruits of repentance look like? And one of the first group is this generic group called the crowd. And the crowds asked him in verse 10, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food to do likewise. In a believer's heart, a regenerate heart, one who's been born again, by the work of the Holy Spirit, his heart becomes tender and generous and loving toward others and loving his neighbor. Not for personal gain, not to merit God's favor, but because of Christ's love for him. And he sees his neighbor in need and he gives that tunic. He gives that food because he, he goes the extra mile. The next group up is the tax collectors in verse 12. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized. See, tax collectors had the reputation of stealing and thievery from their own people. And if you didn't like it, there was a Roman centurion guard with a broad spear and, and a sword ready there to put you down and feel the wrath of God. And he tells these collectors, collect, tax collectors, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Consciences, consciences, can't even speak tonight, are suddenly repented of their filthy greed, fleecing and stealing from their own neighbors. Collect no more than you should. Return to those who have stolen from you. We have a picture of Zacchaeus in the scripture who now returns the tax collector convicted of his own sin and puts faith in the Lord and returns back fourfold to those he's taken from. You have the third picture of this people that come up. Soldiers also ask, ask him in verse 14. And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. You see, repentance brings conviction and turning away from it to follow Christ, including the cruelty and the violence and the, the, the thievery and extortion and the lying. And instead, the grace of God fills the heart and brings repentance and contentment in what the Lord provides. You're satisfied with your, your wages and God's blessing on you. What are these fruits of repentance? When someone is truly born again, trusting in Jesus Christ, you will experience brokenness over your sin. The Holy Spirit will prompt your heart in the recognition of sin, whereas before it never bothered you. Those who have come to Christ later in the life, you want to think about that. Before B.C., before Christ, none of those things ever bothered you. And all of a sudden, when you come to faith in Christ, all of a sudden there's a daily flood of our sin. And you seek forgiveness because your, your Savior, Christ, went to the cross for you. There's deep sorrow that comes over you. And you fall all, all in love with Christ all over again. Repentance also brings a turning away from sin and following a new direction, Christ-likeness. 
You begin to dislike your old ways. And soon it becomes not just a dislike, but a disgust with our sin that sent Christ to the cross. And then you want nothing better. You want something better. You want something pure, something holier to replace it. You want to become more and more like Jesus Christ and to die to your own simple ways and more and more to live like the Savior who loves you. And additionally, the Spirit will illuminate your heart more and more and your mind will be consumed with the Word of God about the greatness of your Savior. And you see a glimpse of that in these words from John the Baptist in verse 15 and 16. Everyone is wondering if John was the the Christ. And John says, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John the Baptist is saying, the Christ, Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Jesus is worthy. I am not. Jesus is worthy. Follow him. Repent and fall on your knees before God, your Savior. True believer, not only does he have a baptism of repentance by the Holy Spirit working in his heart, but also the fruit of ongoing repentance by the grace of God, and with joy throws his arms around Christ his Savior, for he is worthy, he is mighty. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you that you are worthy. And we thank you, O Lord, that you have opened our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the Savior Jesus Christ, that you have brought a baptism of repentance and brought us to to showing the glory and the, the majesty and the beauty of our Savior Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. We praise you, O Lord. And Father, we pray for all these saints here in this room that their life would be an ongoing showing the fruits of repentance by the power of your Spirit working in them for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.